so excited that you are here this morning, and I'm excited to be here, so much so that over a week ago, I started doing research for my sermon this weekend. I sent 53 video text messages to different people. Video messaging is my favorite kind of messaging. Do you know that if you've got an iPhone, you can send and receive videos up to four and a half minutes? Now, if you are committed to the Android, only one minute. So you can imagine, I have an iPhone. <laughs> I love to video message, and I thought, I want to send to people who have different kinds of perspective than me, different personalities, different phone allegiances. So I sent a 50-second text. And I thought, I could just give you the questions that I asked those people, but wouldn't it be more fun if you got to see the video too? Yep, here's the screen. Congratulations, you're a special one. You have been chosen by me and Hadley. For some research for my sermon, next weekend on self-control, I'm reaching out to a variety of personalities and ages, wondering if you could answer the following three questions for me. First, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, how would you rate your own self-control? Number two, what's the hardest aspect of gaining self-control for you? And number three, what freedoms do you experience when you are living a self-controlled life? Anything you could give me would be super helpful. I want more than just my opinion and my experience. So that's why I'm reaching out to you. If I could have it by hmm, Christmas day, that'd be super helpful. Thanks. <laughs> now, I know what some of you are thinking. <gasps> was she driving while she recorded that video? I was not. I am safe, my husband was driving. But I loved being able to send that and I loved what I got back. For those of you who like to see it in writing, these are the three questions that I asked. A rating on a scale of one to 10 about your personal self-control, the hardest aspect of gaining that control, and when you have gained that control, what freedoms do you have in your life? I really do wish that I could have sent it to all of you and heard your responses because the ones I got back were so enlightening and intriguing. And interestingly, I saw common threads that ran through all of them concerning self-control. Be sure we're all on the same page. I thought we could see the definition of self-control according to Webster. A restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. I wonder what kind of definition the Apostle Paul would have given self-control when he put it as the ninth fruit of the Spirit in his letter to the church at Galatia. I would guess that he would have included the word community or the word relationships because so much of what Paul wrote was instruction on how to live together in community. These people had never been part of the new way, the way of Jesus before. And we all know that when we don't exercise self-control, those around us can be affected in such negative ways. Well, when I have the opportunity to talk with teenagers about the fruit of the Spirit, I do a little self-reflection exercise with them. So I show them all nine fruit, and I ask them, which two fruit naturally come up in your life on a regular basis, and which two fruit are vacant in your life? So if you need a reminder, here are the nine fruit from Galatians 5, love, joy, 
forbearance, which is, sorry, peace, forbearance, which is the fancy word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Without fail, the teenagers say that the two most vacant fruit in their lives are patience and self-control, which totally makes sense. If you think of an average teenager's life that is just full of movement and want, and I want it right now. But it might be a surprise to you that when I talk with adults and I run them through the same exercise, the results are the same. Patience and self-control are not apparent in my life. And I guess that makes sense because they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? If I want to exercise self-control, I've got to have patience. I've got to be patient for what it is that I want right now or the resolution that I hope will come. So for this weekend, we're going to hone in on self-control. It's our bonus gift in our four-gift series that Pastor Dale covered. So if you remember, hope, peace, love, and joy are the gifts that Dale covered so well and reminded us that the only way that we are able to open and enjoy them is because of what the Lord did for us in the sending of his son Jesus to come and be a with us God. We can't make hope appear. We can't convince our way into peace. We can't love fully on our own. We certainly can't buy joy. And we can't experience true freedom-giving self-control without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where most of us get into trouble. Out of everyone that I surveyed, except a very honest mom of three, everyone put themselves between six and eight. The majority of them at seven, three very uh, type A people said 7.5, but most of them said seven. And it started me worrying, like, that's a really high rating. Like, maybe I shouldn't even be preaching on self-control. But then I noticed the common thread in all of their responses. So even though I rate myself a seven overall, if I'm honest, there are areas in my life that I would rate a three or a four or a five on a really good day. So people, of course, mentioned food and exercise and time management, but many of them talked about the area of verbal communication wishing that they had more self-control over what they said in the moment, like with their children or their spouses or coworkers or classmates. Do you feel their pain? I know that I do. It seems like even when I have learned how to exercise self-control in my life, that discovery reveals to me more areas that I need self-control. So even when I seem to get control, I've got more to do. Well, here's the truth. Gaining control means losing control. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about that today. So if you've got your Bible with you, I love it. Take it out or turn it on. If you want to use the one in the pew rack in front of you, I will be codependent with you. It's on page 1852. We're looking at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And it's a long passage, but trust me, it's worth it. So Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, says this. 
His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... I think this is a shout out to what we experience of the idea that we feel like we have control, but then we've got so much more to work on. If you do this, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. I love how Peter starts out with the source the divine source. Did you catch that in in verse one? He said, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. It's as if Peter is preparing us for the challenge that's to come and reminding us that the only way that we're going to get there is by the power of God in us. I also love that when he gets to the list, he puts faith first and love last. So make every effort to add to your faith goodness, but then ending with love. I know that some of us struggle with a list like this. And you're thinking, Heather, isn't my faith in Jesus based solely on him and what he did for me? Isn't that the idea of grace that I can't do anything to earn it? Absolutely. You're right. That's what Paul talks about mostly through Romans and that is the beautiful part about grace is that we can't do anything to earn it but in a letter later on in the New Testament James reminds us that Christians should further their faith in their faith journey as they grow so out of our love and gratitude and surrender to God we work out our faith. We actually give tangible form to our faith. Imagine if we could do that with self-control. Imagine how loudly it would speak to our culture if we had self-control. Now, during the timing of Peter and Paul's writings, the Greek philosophers were way into self-control. And they saw it as the ability, similar to the definition, to act in accordance with one's will not giving in to any other person, pressure, or philosophy. I call this muscling through. (laughs) I decide that I want to do something and I take everything that I have in me and I push to make this thing happen. Well, the New Testament writers took a total different take on self-control. It's not philosophical. It's the reality that comes because of the power of the Spirit in us. It's not of me, it's of Christ. 
Now, I want to be clear in regards to how we receive the Holy Spirit. We aren't naturally given it just because we are, we are human or we are created in the image of God, although those are beautiful things. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that when we say yes to the gospel of Jesus, the fact that he died on the cross and rose again for us, when we say yes to that, we immediately receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living inside of us. That's the kind of spirit we're talking about. But then there is this other side called the flesh. And when we're living in the flesh, life doesn't go very well. <laughs> I want to take a look at Galatians 5, at the part that comes right before Paul lists the fruit of the spirit that come when we give our control over to the spirit. And he kind of talks about basically a summary of the other side. So this comes from Galatians 5, 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I know that some of even the words on the screen seem offensive to us. But if we're honest, this is the kind of stuff that appears in our lives when we're left on our own. I mean, thousands of years ago, Paul even called them obvious. Because you see, our lives are supposed to be different. Our lives are supposed to be living in a way that God would be pleased and living in the power of the Spirit, which is why then he comes back to what it would look like if that actually happened. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if we say that we're Christians, our lives are supposed to be marked by this freedom. This freedom that only comes when we give ourselves over to the Spirit. But then there's this battle, this battle between the spirit and the flesh, and it's real. I know it's real for you in your daily lives, but it's also real, and scripture talks about it. So this is the way that Paul says it. He says, so I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. I'm a visual person in my nature, so oftentimes God will give me a picture to what it is he puts in his word. And so as I think about this, the, the spirit and the flesh together and how they are in conflict, I imagine a boxing ring inside of me. <laughs> and inside of that ring is the flesh, and on the other side is the spirit. And all throughout the moments of my day, they are battling it out together. So... It's as if I'm, well, and I've experienced this. I'm sitting on the couch and I sense the spirit say, hey, get off that couch and go take care of the body that I gave you. 
And then the flesh comes in with the left hook and says, uh-uh, you stay right where you are. There's another half to this football game. And those Cheetos aren't going to eat themselves. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? Or maybe the flesh comes in with an uppercut and says, I am freaked out about that echocardiogram I've got to have on my heart next week. What if they find something bad? What if I have the heart of a 95-year-old? What if I die right there on the table? And then the spirit comes around like this and says, hey, I've got you in the palm of my hand. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to take care of you. I have got this. Can you relate to that battle inside, the back and forth? Paul can. He talks about it in Romans chapter 7, 15 through 20. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me, or the flesh, or our sinful nature. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Wow. Let me remind you, this is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul who is a hero in our faith. He's the one who wrote the majority of the New Testament, and yet he experiences this internal fight. So why is it so hard? Why can the flesh be so strong? Well, as I asked those friends the hardest aspect of self-control, here's what they said. It's hard to say no to something I want when I can have it. The instant gratification seems better in the moment than the delayed reward. One of my friends in his late 20s says, I have the fear of missing out. What if I don't go there? What if I don't buy that? Another person said, I've got all of these emotions and I have to identify them and then I have to try to contain them. Someone else said, I'm a self-centered human being and I like what I like. Temptations are harder to resist when I feel emotionally and physically exhausted. I feel so rushed and my time is so little that I make poor decisions. Getting started in a new pattern is the hardest part for one person. My friend, who I think is very self-controlled, said, the hardest part for me is staying true to my self-control when it doesn't look like anyone else's. But the most profound that I heard was this. The hardest part is remembering the power of the pause. I think so many of our hurdles to self-control could be eliminated with the power of the pause. And that's what the Holy Spirit provides for us. So imagine if you were in the midst of something or on your way to something and you just took a moment and said, Holy Spirit, fill me and guide me. Help me to know what should I do? What should I say? In my case, what should I not say? Right? Our former senior pastor, Leith Anderson, once said, just because it's true doesn't mean it needs to be said. 
So I can look at a guy and go, oh, clearly he's gained 40 pounds. I should tell him. Or I could hold my friend's new baby for the first time and think, wow, that baby is ugly. Now, it might be true, but probably shouldn't be said, right? When this is what happens when we don't yield to the Spirit. We say stupid stuff like that because our natural default is to the flesh. But to live life in the flesh is to live outside of the realm of the Spirit of God. That's why you feel so off when you're out of control. That's why you feel so disconnected from God when you're giving into those temptations. If instead you would keep in step with the Spirit, like it says in Galatians 5.25, you would experience a connection with God in all areas of your life. The people that I heard back from said that when they lean into the Holy Spirit for their self-control, they live in confidence, peace, trust, closeness in relationships, rather than in guilt, shame, being trapped by emotions, and dealing with the spiral of self-loathing. I hope I'm not the only one who can identify with that. The downward spiral of self-loathing. For me, it looks something like this. I get into my week and I've missed a couple days of working out because I did not prioritize my time well. And so then I start to feel soft and chubby. So then I say, well, why not just order that large stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut at this point? And then I eat it and then I'm like, oh, I feel so gross. I can't work out. And then days in, I'm thinking things like, I am such a loser. I'm supposed to be a role model as a pastor, and I can't even get this straight. I am undisciplined, I am weak, I am fat, I am really bad at math. <laughs> do you see? You say, Heather, math has nothing to do. I know it doesn't. But when we are in that downward spiral, our thoughts become irrational and oftentimes even paralyzing. That is not freedom. That is the opposite of freedom. Two of the friends that I reached out to, they're both Wooddalers, they're in their 50s. They said that when they go to the Spirit to get this freedom of self-control, they said, we know it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit changing us, and that gives us freedom. Let me say that again because I think it's so important. We know it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit changing us. And that gives us freedom. So because it comes from him, I don't have to muscle through. And because it comes from him, it's going to keep on increasing. Because you see, the Spirit starts to change our actual nature. And as the Spirit does his work... We lose control, and he takes control. Now, it's my hope and prayer that at this moment, you are thinking to yourself, I want that kind of self-control. Heather, tell me, how can I get it? And I'm so glad you asked, because I have some thoughts. If you want that kind of self-control, the very first step that you need to take is to feed the Spirit. We have a choice every day as to whether or not we feed the flesh or feed the spirit. Whichever one you feed 
will win the battle inside of you. So what kind of music or talk radio do you listen to? What do you watch on TV? What do you look at online? What kind of people do you hang out with? What kind of thoughts do you take captive in your mind and think about them over and over? What kind of things do you read? There aren't many neutrals in this category. It's either going to feed your flesh or it's going to feed your spirit. It's either going to take you away from God or it's going to bring you closer to God. Jesus himself in John 15, 5 said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit, including self-control. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I feel like feeding the spirit would go hand in hand with remaining in him. If my actions and choices throughout my day point me back to God, then I'm feeding the spirit that's within me. So when I read his word, I'm feeding the spirit. When I talk to others about my faith, I'm feeding the spirit. When I'm in a spirit of prayer all day, inviting God to be a part of every moment, then I'm feeding the spirit. When I choose to lift, listen to uh, uplifting and encouraging music, then I'm feeding the spirit. You could say that I'm feeding the right one in the boxing ring. Think about it. Which fighter is going to win? The one who's received the attention. The attention of nutrition, the attention of training, and the attention to his needs. Feed the one you want to win. Let's be real. There are some of us in this room who are out of control. And it directly points back to the fact that we are feeding the flesh and not the spirit. The next step to this kind of Holy Spirit-driven self-control is to believe that God is for you. There's this misconception of God in our culture, and I would even say in our Christian culture, that seems to think that God on a daily basis scans the universe and looks for anything that's fun, enjoyable, adrenaline-seeking, or just pleasurable, and he says, you can't do that. And so then we have this idea that God is simply out to confine and restrain us from anything that's fun and exciting. Now, some of you know that I grew up with a dad who was a long-distance truck driver. Marty, known as Country Boy on the CB radio, drove an 18-wheeler cross-country for 37 years. And here's proof of it. This is our Christmas card photo. <laughs> it's like, who does that? The Heinz family does that. And I've got some family here with us this morning, so you're welcome for being able to see this back to 1990. That's me on the hood pretending to be a hood ornament. I'm wearing pajama pants and a sweater. Not sure why. But there's my dad in the truck window, and it looks like he couldn't be happier, but he was happier whenever any of us went on the trips with him. And I got to go on my first trip when I was five years old. I packed my little Snoopy suitcase with my strawberry shortcake pajamas and got in the truck with my dad. And my mom tells the story of that day as she lifted her five-year-old up into that Big Mac truck. And she thought to herself, how is this big burly man going to take care of my little girl? More importantly, how is he going to put her pigtails in properly every day? 
but the Lord gave a sweet word to my mom and said, that's his daughter too. And so <laughs> she gave me to him and that started a love affair with the road with my dad. And for the next 28 years, we took the continental U.S. together. My first trip when I was when I was five and my last trip was when I was 33 on my pastoral sabbatical here with Wooddale. They paid to have me go with my dad and three days of truck and car races at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And it was fantastic. It was so incredibly meaningful but it became even more precious two years later when my dad passed away of lung cancer, never having smoked a day in his life. But on one trip in particular, we were heading through the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. And it was winter and a nasty storm had moved in. And it was a mountain pass that we were making our way up and there were 40,000 yes, 40, pounds of freight behind us in our trailer. And it was a two-lane road. <laughs> so we're making our way up the pass, and cars are literally coming around corners on this two-lane road, swerving as they came toward us. And I remember distinctively as a 10-year-old girl looking out my passenger window, and just beyond this sturdy guardrail was a deep, dark abyss where the mountain dropped off. And I will tell you that never during that trek up the mountain did I look at that guardrail and say to myself, I feel so confined by you. I feel like you are invading my space. I just wish you weren't here at all. Are you kidding me? I loved that guardrail. I praised the Lord for that guardrail because it was that guardrail that was keeping my dad and I safe. Clearly, it had been constructed because there was knowledge and more than likely proof of what would happen on the other side. Destruction and death. And I think, wow, sometimes we look at what it is that God asks us to do and what the Spirit asks us to do, like something that's confining us rather than giving us life and protecting us. There's a great verse in 1 John 5, 3 that says this, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. <laughs> Believe that God is for you. I'm just going to highlight one of them today that I talk with my students a lot about. God tells us that it is not right to have sexual relationships outside of marriage because he knows he knows that he created sex to be an experience between a man and a woman, an experience that is so much more than physical. It is so intimate with the body, the mind, the heart, and the soul. But the culture is telling us and telling my students especially that sex is just a physical act, that you can do it with whomever you want, whenever you want, and you can walk away untouched. And that is a lie. God put that boundary in place for us because he cares for us and wants what's best for us. He knows the danger for us personally and in our relationships if we bust through that boundary. He knows what's on the other side. So rather than giving into my flesh that might be drawn to have sex outside of marriage, instead I trust God knowing that he cares for me and that he is for me, he is not against me. Finally, third step is to live an open life. 
Most of us get in trouble when we're isolated. We get in trouble when we are on our own in the dark and our mind starts to do crazy things and, and convince ourselves that what we're doing isn't as bad as what everybody else is doing. If you want to live a life that's fueled by the spirit of self-control, you've got to have other people walking alongside of you. We were not created to live life alone. So if you would say you've got people like that, I would say take advantage of that in the best of ways. Share with those people around you the struggles that you have. Ask them to keep you accountable in the ways that you are feeding your flesh versus feeding your spirit. But if you're somebody who says, Heather, I don't have that, pray and ask God to bring people like that into your world and let us help you. Here at Wooddale, we're such big fans of living life together that we've got so many ministries that would help you do that. So our one-to-one -one mentoring ministry, you could match up with somebody who's a little bit further in their faith journey and meet on a regular basis feeding your spirit. If small groups are more your jam, we've got life groups that meet all throughout the week and they study scriptures and live life together. We've got Starting Point, we have Celebrate Recovery, and rumor has it we have some amazing student ministries here on the Eden Prairie campus. Fifth through 12th grade, we've got amazing adults who love God and they love kids, and we want to help them to feed their spirit and put to death the flesh. So I wonder which step in the journey of gaining self-control through the Holy Spirit you need to pay attention to the most. Would it be feed the spirit? Believe that God is for you? Or live an open life? I know some of you are thinking, oh, Heather, all three for me. I know that's overwhelming, so just pick one. For me, I would have to say it's feed the spirit. I have a really hard time in particular being quiet and being still and reading the Bible by myself. God has created me to be highly relational. I think that everything is better with a friend. But I know, I know the benefit that can come from me sitting and being still with God. What is it for you? You know, I don't know what your track record has been in regards to self-control. But the great thing is I don't have to worry about that. Because there's no asterisk in this promise from God that if we lean into the Holy Spirit, he will produce self-control in us. And wouldn't it be great to move into 2020 with that kind of confidence and that kind of focus, knowing that it's not about you being in control, but it's about you losing control to the Holy Spirit. So Father God, I pray that that would be the reality and the truth for all of us. God, we want to live in your realm, not in the realm of the flesh. So would you be clear with us on how we've been feeding the flesh and would you give us all that we need to instead feed the spirit. God, may we give you the credit and the glory for what it is that you're going to do in and around and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> If you would like somebody to pray for you or just talk some things through with, Pastor Ryan will be up at the front along with some prayer partners. But for now, would you please stand to receive the benediction. <laughs> As you leave this room today in a very controlled fashion, may you believe and claim 
that God is for you and that you are able to have freedom-giving self-control through his power. Amen.